0: A very warm welcome to our podcast, Pathways to Germany. My name is uh, Brian Treneman. I am the director of the DAAD Information Center in Malaysia. And with me is, uh, like last week, Idzeit Idros, our senior consultant. And it's you are also an alumnus from the University of Applied Sciences in Offenburg, where you studied process and environmental engineering. And uh, you consider yourself a third culture kit. Um, what does that exactly mean?
1: A third culture kid. Thank you very much, Brian, for asking. Uh, okay, so a third culture kid is actually somebody that uh, has been raised overseas. Um, so they they have not been raised in their home country. And they grow up with different cultures. And uh, the moment they return home to their home country, it feels foreign to them. Yeah, okay. So it's a bit strange. Uh, but I think it's, it's the perfect way to raise uh, children. And it's also the perfect way to... Uh, grow up in the world. So you get exposed to different people, different cultures, and you really learn quite a lot about how the world works.
0: Mm -hmm. And in which country have you been growing up?
1: Uh, Altogether, I was actually born in Singapore, so that's where everything started. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both of my parents are Malaysian, so that's why my nationality is also Malaysian. And after my family was in Singapore, we moved back to Malaysia. And from Malaysia, we moved over to Canada. And after Canada, we went off to Germany and after Germany, back to Malaysia and then back to Germany for higher education.
0: Oh, great. So you're a seasoned traveler, um, being um, around in the world uh, for quite um, some time and also experiencing uh, Germany, actually, and uh, as part of your childhood, is it correct? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's very true. Definitely. Mm. I think it's,
1: uh, it really played a way in uh, shaping how I grew up and shaping my mentality nowadays.
0: Okay. And that was also one of the reasons why you decided uh, to uh, later on um, study in Germany. Yeah, that's true. I think uh, especially having been raised there
1: when I was a teenager, you, you get used to life how it is and I still learned the language when I was a lot younger. And that makes studying in Germany a lot easier uh, for myself because you could pick up the language very, very quickly again.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, good, good, good. Um, let me just uh, briefly introduce also the, uh, the DAAD to our um, distinguished listeners, maybe to those of you who are new um, uh, to our podcast. So the DAAD stands for German Academic Exchange Services. And uh, we are the biggest funding organization worldwide for academic collaboration and mobility with an annual budget in 2020. the latest report has just been uh, published of uh, 549 million um, euros. Um, but the big question actually for um, anyone uh, listening to us or considering listening any further um, it's what would you say why should anyone listen to us
1: why should anyone listen to us? Well, that's a very good question, Brian. I don't mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Besides our very nice voices, I think uh, we're two very attractive young men. Uh, but in addition to that, I think we also give very good information about studying in Germany. We give unbiased information about studying in Germany. So we're, you know, the DAAD. We, we're not a profit comp- uh, profit-making company. Uh, we're an organization that is really there purely to give unbiased, free information about studying in
0: Germany. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the, the GAD, as you mentioned, is a non-government organization. We're a non-profit and um, our main purpose is actually um, to build bridges uh, with uh, the world and with uh, various countries. Um, we have representations in, in almost all the countries around the world. Um, um, at least a, a, a DAD lecturer at uh, various universities in each country um, who is teaching German as a foreign language or German uh, linguistics and uh, literature. And um, so so with this we try actually to reach out to the world and bring uh, the world together, building bridges between um, academicians and uh, from, from Germany as well as from the various countries, um, as well as here in, uh, in, in Malaysia. And um, But apart from um, exploring um, why uh, you should be considering study and research in Germany, we will also uh, look a little bit into uh, what it means to live in Germany. We will explore the German culture and maybe also uh, one or two um, odd German behaviors that make it uh, uh, worthwhile. Actually, listen to us. Uh, it gives you an opportunity actually to uh, to get to know German culture a little bit be- better through our um, podcast. So today, um, we are going to explore um, the topic of how to make it to Germany after we uh, previously already looked into um, why uh, you should um, uh, consider uh, Germany as a destination, um, and uh, previously we also discussed uh, why education in Germany is uh, provided for free, even um, to international students. So if you missed that episode, we would like to invite you actually to go to to our first um, episode where we will explore this and elaborate this uh, lengthly. And um, after we uh, dive. Um, today into the topic of how to make it to Germany uh, then uh, we will uh, also uh, move on to our um, category our rubric uh, Fun Facts Germany where we try to um, challenge each other um, uh, and uh, looking into uh, statements and then uh, decide whether these statements are true or false Okay, so let's um, um, start off uh, first of all with our personal experiences and especially you it's uh, as an alumnus from Germany. Um, I would like to get some information from you uh, for about your personal experience. Uh, is there any um, thing from your uh, from the daily life uh, that you experience in Germany that you brought over to uh, Malaysia um, or that you would like to see implemented here in the Malaysian culture? Okay,
1: well, at the beginning of the podcast you brought up that my background is in environmental engineering. And looking at Malaysia, I mean, we have so many wonderful places in this country and we have so many beautiful uh, trekking sites and hiking places and also beautiful rivers. It would be great if we actually managed to clean those up. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this wonderful thing that uh, I think in Holland they started it up. I think it's called plonking or something like that, uh, where you would actually go off and you go hiking into the, the woods. And uh, along the way, you bring along garbage bags and you just clean up while you go hiking. And that culture has also spread off to Germany and lot, many other places in Europe where they really treasure and value their uh, forests. And I would love to see something like that being brought down to Malaysia where we go around to beaches or we go around to all of these different forests and we can just start cleaning up inside there. Whatever pieces of trash we
0: find on the ground, just clean it up. Mm, oh yeah that would be a nice culture actually um uh, frankly speaking I've been doing this myself actually when I uh, went diving in in Malaysia um each time actually I uh, any kind of, of rubbish uh, plastic I found underwater I just uh, brought it up uh, um, with me uh, but uh, going uh, hiking in the forest actually sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming because there's so much rubbish lying around it <laughs> uh, it would be a little bit too much actually to go around, but we always make sure that uh, we uh, um, bring bring back whatever we uh, we brought with us uh, and make sure that we don't leave any rubbish uh, behind so maybe um one um possible angle actually to, to look at it or one strategy could also be actually to invite uh, German and Dutch tourists to come to Malaysia and <laughs> <laughs> clean up the forest here in Malaysia. Hmm? That, that would be one option, yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> so another thing that we could actually do, speaking on this topic, is uh, to incentivize the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of on the, in the previous podcast, we did talk about uh, the fund, which they have in Germany, or that's mm-hmm. called uh, spelled P-F-A-N-D. Mm-hmm. And it's this mini deposit that you pay, every Every time you buy like a plastic bottle, let's say you buy a bottle of Coke, for example, and mm-hmm. you have to top up usually, I think it was what, 50 cents or is it 25 uh, cents? I think it's 25 cents, yeah. 25 cents, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you, you pay this, uh, this top up of 25 cents for the bottle and when you brought it back to the supermarket for recycling, you actually get money back.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. And
1: I think that's something I would really like to see implemented here in Malaysia as well. I mean, we're taking baby steps, especially nowadays where we're using fewer plastic bags when we go grocery shopping. Mm -hmm. Um, So on top of that one, if we could also start recycling the plastic bottles, I think that would be be a huge step in the right direction for Mm -hmm. this country.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, but in some some aspects, actually, Malaysia is already uh, moving in the right direction. Um, for instance, when it comes to um, renewable energy, um, and that that's also something that was adopted, to my uh, knowledge, actually from uh, from uh, German uh, lawmakers, is that uh, for instance, if you have a solar panel on uh, on your rooftop, and, and you have a surplus of energy generated from the solar panel, um, then uh, you will get money back, actually, from uh, from TNB, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or at least. The law was uh, was implemented um, uh, from uh, from Germany, where um, uh, solar panels and also wind generators are uh, much more abundantly um, uh, um, put in place. And uh, so, if you generate quite a lot of um, energy that you don't use yourself, actually, then you can be uh, rewarded by um, uh, the the energy um, company, and uh, you get uh, money back actually for for the uh, for the energy that you. Um, pump into into the grids. Uh, so that's something that uh, Malaysia has uh, apparently picked up from uh, from from Germany uh, incentivizing actually renewable energy. Oh yeah that's that's very good yeah. That's a great, great idea. Mm. Actually, one thing um, I would like to love to see here in in Malaysia that uh, I uh, think is is a good thing that um, Germany did already in the 70s, up to the 70s, 1970s, um, everything was like here in Malaysia, centered around uh, the uh, automobile. Everybody was uh, taking uh, the car trying to get as close as possible to the shop or wherever they would like to go and then in the 70s actually um, the green movement started in in Germany and um, the people decided actually that we would like to have less cars in our cities and uh, therefore um, something which is called Fußgängerzone was um, introduced (laughs) Uh, so areas where no cars were allowed so streets which were previously used by cars um, uh, and the pedestrians were pushed uh, to the sides of the streets uh, were then converted into um, um, entire uh, areas which were um, um, entirely um, limited to uh, pedestrians. And and my dream for uh, Kuala Lumpur would be actually to have a uh, Fußgängerzone, um, a zone for pedestrians in Bukit Bintang. So no cars oh, allowed yes. anymore. And just imagine um, how much uh, the life, uh, the quality of life would be improved for Bukit Bintang if there wouldn't be any cars actually driving up and and congesting it uh, um and also producing too much noise and uh, how many cafes you could uh, could open up actually just on, on the road there. Oh, definitely. That's a fantastic idea, Brian, yeah. Uh, i I hope that actually um, our podcast is is uh, <laughs> widely heard and then this uh, um the seed of an idea is actually picked up and then maybe eventually it's, it's going to be it's going to be implemented it Would be lovely okay let's move um um on to our main topic for today um how to make it to Germany um it's you as a senior consultant at our information center um you um uh, consult um, uh, um anyone who is interested in, in going to Germany uh, for pursuing um, uh, their, a degree um, or do post-degree uh, studies or to do research in Germany, um, uh, you provide information of how to make it to Germany. Could you uh, also um, elaborate this a little bit for our distinguished listeners today?
1: Okay, well, uh, how to make it to Germany. So there's actually a few steps that you have to take. First of all, we need to know what it is, what's your end goal for Germany? Uh, Why do you want to go there? So for most people, for most Malaysian students, it's to do their bachelor's degree in Germany. And if we were to attack it from that point of view, there is actually a few steps that you can take in order to do your bachelor's degree in Germany. Uh, First of all, it comes down to what academic requirements requirements you need. So like uh, I think for almost all of the universities in Germany, your most basic requirement would be the 12th school year. So you need your leaving certificate from your 12th school year. Um, so that would be A-levels if we're talking about the British system. That would also be the IB diploma if we're talking about the American system. And it could also be Osmat or CIMP mm-hmm. if you go through the Sunway program. So as long as you have that year 12, uh, then you're on the right way. And if you follow the Malaysian system,
0: that would be your mm-hmm. STPM. So that's the basic requirement um, in order to to study in in Germany. Are there any specifics um, about the subjects that you choose for for your A levels or for your STPM? Yep, there are actually. Okay, all right. So when we
1: attack the STPM, what the German universities will actually look for will be your results from your STPM and also your SPM. So when it comes to STPM and the SPM results, they will take about six or seven subjects depending on what field uh, you want to study in. So for example, let's say that you want to go into engineering, then they will take uh, from your SPM results, they'll take a look at your mathematics, your English and also your Bahasa Melayu or you can also talk uh, or they'll take your Mandarin or your Tamil results. So two languages and mathematics. And when it comes to the STPM results, they will usually take a look at your physics, your chemistry or your biology, so any of those natural sciences. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh,
0: you, yeah. you mentioned uh, languages are also a requirement even though I just uh, would like to study, uh, let's say engineering. Uh, yes it is, that's, that's one of the major mistakes that a lot of parents make,
1: uh, so they always think oh you know what my son or my child they're doing engineering, they're doing a science subject, it's just numbers and, and formula, uh, we don't need to learn any languages and that is completely wrong. Because even in Germany, for the students themselves, uh, they actually need to pick up two languages during their grade 12. Isn't that right, Brian?
0: Mm, that's absolutely true, and um, the rationale behind this is that uh, um, uh, German um, students attending their, their A levels, or um, we call it Abitur in in Germany, um, will take uh, um, will delay the process of, of deciding actually in which direction they want to take their their life and therefore their studies. Um, so um, our German Abitur is uh, more um, towards general studies so that afterwards uh, you can um, still uh, decide actually to go for for medicine, for engineering, uh, for law, um, for um, um, any kind of um, human studies. And um, uh, nobody is asked actually um, uh, to make this decision already uh, starting with the the O levels or SPM in in Germany. Um, The students will figure out along the way uh, towards their, their German Abitur Um, in which direction they eventually want to go. Uh, So only with uh, 18 uh, years, uh, maybe 19 um, after completing uh, previously also their their civil services or doing a gap year, um, um, uh, the individuals will then decide actually in which direction they want to go. And therefore, it is important to also have uh, the languages uh, remain uh, as part of uh, the Abitur, respectively, uh, the A-levels also here in, in Malaysia. That's correct. All right. So uh, when it
1: comes to the A-level programs though, uh, so you need to sit for four subjects. Uh, The first one is an AS language subject. Mm -hmm. So this can be any language that you want as long as it's a pure language. So when I say a pure language, for example, you can sit for the English examination, but you should not sit for English literature. Uh, you could also sit for Mandarin as long as it's a pure language and I've heard from many parents here in Malaysia that if you are multilingual and you can speak uh, Mandarin, the Mandarin AS exam is actually very easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that might be an option for you. Uh, after the language exams, uh, you would also need mathematics and the remaining two subjects would be dependent on the course that you wish to study in Germany. So just now we talked about engineering. When it comes to A levels, uh, you would be sitting for physics and chemistry, or physics and biology, for example. Uh, if you were do to do humanities, though, you could also do geography and law. That would be one option. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're aiming more towards business studies, then you can do economics and uh, geography, or economics and business studies. That would be an option as well.
0: Mm, okay. Okay. So um once these um, um, uh, the A levels are all sorted out uh, or the STPM um, what would be the, the next step uh, towards Germany how uh, to go about uh, with the application procedure
1: okay so when it comes to the application procedure the first step is to make a list of the I normally recommend that you make a list of about five to ten different universities that you want to apply to mm-hmm. and there's a very wonderful website which we or two wonderful websites which you can use for this uh, this case. Uh, They're both from the DAAD. So the first website will be study-in-germany.de. You can also just Google search that one. It's studyin-germany.de. And the second website you can use is daad.de slash IDP. So that's India, Denmark, Pakistan at the end, IDP. And when you go on both of these sites, you can actually search, let's say that you want to do engineering or uh, mechanical engineering. You would type in mechanical engineering in the search field, and then it will spit out all of the different universities uh, offering that course. Mm -hmm. And then you can click on each university and see what the requirements are and see how they want you to apply. So for Germany in general, there are actually two ways which you can apply. Uh, The first way is directly to the university itself. And usually you would submit all of your documents uh, to the university. The second option is uh, through something called UniAssist. So UniAssist is this third party organization. If you're familiar with the UK, they have something called UCAS. And with Germany, it's called UniAssist. So basically you would submit all of your documents to them. You have to pay a small fee. And then they will actually disperse those documents to the different universities after they have gone through them. Uh, So, those are the two ways which you can apply to the German universities. And they will, the universities themselves will let you know how they want you to apply. So if they say you have to use UniAssist, then you have no other choice as an international student. But if they tell you, you can apply directly to us, then you can apply directly to them. And most of the cases, it's
0: actually going to be for free if you apply directly to the university. Mm, Okay. And uh, what kind of application deadlines uh, do we need to uh, um, keep in, in mind when applying for studying in Germany? So there are two different uh, semesters
1: for German universities. We have the winter semester and also the summer semester. When it comes to the winter semester, that would be the most popular semester. That's when most of the courses are being offered by the universities. And that's when most of the courses will be open for registration. So when it comes to the winter semester, the application window will be from May until the 15th of July. Uh, That's usually around the beginning of May until the 15th of July. And for the summer semester, the application window will be from the
0: middle of Jan- the the beginning of December until the middle of January. Yeah, um, fantastic. And um, when when it comes to choosing, actually, uh, these different uh, semesters, what would be the pros and cons um, start, starting uh, with the winter semester, as you mentioned, and winter semester really means winter semester <laughs> in, in Germany. Um, and what will be the pros and cons uh, starting in uh, with the summer semester? All right. So I think
1: the major uh, con of starting in the winter semester is obviously the temperature. I think that's something that you have to get used to. (laughs) um, I think uh, you land in Germany sometime in late September and depending on which city you're in, it can range between maybe about 10 degrees going all the way down to maybe zero degrees uh, for September. Mm. And that really depends on which city you're at. But the pros of the winter semester though is that you have a lot more courses to
0: choose from. But on the same time, uh, maybe maybe Uh, uh, another con would be also that uh, the competition is is higher uh, because uh, all the German students uh, start um, uh, with a winter semester and uh, international students also start uh, usually uh, with a winter semester. But of course, as you mentioned, uh, uh, on the other side, you also have um, more choices in terms of um, study courses uh, offered by uh, all the universities in In Germany and starting uh, with the summer semester what be uh, what be the pros and cons I think the biggest con for the summer semester is that uh,
1: you have fewer courses to choose Mm. from that's number Mm. one that means the competition to get into one of those courses will be a lot more fierce Mm -hmm. Uh, also the application window is a lot smaller um, I think for the summer semester, you only have about one and a half months to submit all of your documents, okay. uh, whereas for the winter semester, you had about almost three months to submit all of your documents. Mm. Um, so really, that's one of the, the major cons for the summer semester. Um, but the major pro for the summer semester would be that, well, as you said, you know, it's in the name itself. It's going to be a lot warmer in Germany. Usually the semester will start sometime in middle of March or early, or early April. Mm. Uh, so you don't
0: have to dress uh, so warmly for that season. And it's, it's uh, one of the most beautiful seasons in, in Germany with uh, spring, um, you would see actually how the mood of everyone is rising and uh, people are uh, starting actually to um, spend more time um, outside rather than uh, previously during the winter time when everybody's just, just uh, hurrying up uh, to get back uh, <laughs> home where it's warm and cozy. Um, and uh, it's it's quite lovely actually to see how how um, the whole life of a city um, is is shifting uh, uh, towards uh, being more um, uh, the life being spent more outside. Okay, so um, let's say uh, um, the applicant made it uh, finding um, a study course in Germany and received confirmation for for the study course. Um, what would be another um, major step uh, to to make it to Germany? Okay, your next step right now, uh,
1: after you've received all of your documents from Germany and also the acceptance letter, uh, your next major step would be to go off and make an appointment with the German embassy. Um. So this is when it comes down to the visa application process. Uh, So the German embassy here in Malaysia, they actually have a list of all of the documents which you need from them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you just need to follow that list, you can print it out and you can just tick it off one by one and make sure that you have all of your documents when you go and see them. Mm -hmm. So they are very strict and very particular about stuff like this. Uh Uh, Try to make it as seamless as possible. Mm -hmm. Just double check that you have all of the documents on the list. And then once you have all of those documents and you know they are signed and they are certified and all of those things, then and only then should you go off to the German embassy and uh, apply for your uh,
0: for your visa. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, maybe another tip, actually, when it comes to dealing with uh, German bureaucrats and uh, the requirements for for uh, forms, is that uh, you should not only compile um, the documents um, that are uh, listed um, in the checklist, but also. Uh, preferably bring them in the order of the checklist. Uh, that really helps, actually, <laughs> <laughs> to, to um, get the, uh, the civil servant, uh, whoever's taking care of your FOV's application, uh, on your side, actually. If they see um, that you really put uh, all the effort in it uh, to um, get uh, all the documents uh, compiled together uh, and also in the right order, that makes uh, the whole process much easier also for them. And uh, that will um, smoothen the whole uh, procedure uh, uh, much more. Anything that is important uh, to mention uh, when it comes to um, a student visa in particular? Um, The most important thing...
1: is uh, like I think it's with the finances actually yeah mm. uh, you do need to show that you have the uh, financial stability to support yourself while you're studying in Germany mm-hmm. so officially according to the German Embassy website there are three ways which you can do this one uh, the first one is if you've received a scholarship for example if you've received the DAAD scholarship for your master's degree or for your PhD grant that you can use that one as your financial proof that you can support yourself in Germany. Uh, The second option is to actually have your parents come with you to the German embassy along with their bank statements and their bank accounts uh, and and their salary slips. Mm -hmm. And they can actually use that one as proof that they will support you while you're studying in Germany. Mm -hmm. Uh, But most recently, the best and easiest way to prove this to the German embassy is actually by opening up something called a blocked account. Mm So this blocked account is this, uh, basically it's this online account. You can open it here in Malaysia. And there are a few uh, services which actually offer this uh, blocked account. So they have a few uh, business uh, banks which offer this uh, blocked account. And most of them, usually within uh, three days to a week, you can actually open up this German blocked account. And the way the blocked account works is that you will then deposit from your Malaysian bank account Uh, You need about 10,600 euros now. You just need to deposit that into this German blocked account. And then you print out the bank statement
0: from that blocked account and you use that during your visa process. Mm -hmm. Do do you know actually where where this sum is coming from? How is that calculated actually? And what is it referring to? That's
1: a very good question. All right. So most recently, uh, that sum is actually, it changes year by year. And the reason behind that is that Germany actually calculates how much money do you need per month to support yourself as an international student in Germany. Mm. So they take the aggregate between all of the big cities and also all of the small cities and they come up to an, an amount which is about 861 euros per month. Mm. Uh, so they take that amount and then they times it by 12 and that's how much they
0: know that you'll be needing to support yourself for that year. Mm-hmm yeah so Mm, yes Uh, fantastic that's absolutely correct and that shows actually what uh, kind of senior consultant you are and uh, (laughs) what kind of asset you are also uh, for for the dad information center here in in malaysia uh, because you know all the details actually and also the background here um so what you've just been referring to is in germany called the the um Um, a a loan, um, an interest-free loan that is given out to to students who cannot um, uh, receive uh, funding from their parents. And um, so therefore, uh, the German government actually makes a, a very... Um, uh, um, particular calculation of how much money a student needs no matter where in, in Germany he or she is studying um, in order to go through the um, the study course without uh, um, the need to um, take up a, um, um, a job, a part-time job in order to, to survive. And that's uh, the, the amount we've been uh, just uh, talking about, uh, around 800 uh, something uh, euros. So this uh, very uh, meticulous, calculated uh, monthly budget that a student needs in Germany in order to survive also includes um, um, a certain uh, fraction of this budget, which allows you actually also to to allocate this to to your spare time and free time, um, so you can live comfortably from uh, this uh, um, um, monthly um, amount of uh, 800 and uh, something, 860 euro, uh, that allows you actually to not only study in Germany, but also to experience... Um, a good life as a student uh, in, in Germany. Of course, uh, you don't have uh, all the, f- the, the means uh, available then actually to live a very luxurious life, uh, but um, a decent life, I would say, as a student. Um, how much uh, um, money did you uh, previously have when, when you were studying uh, in, in Germany?
1: In Germany, my parents would actually transfer over about five hundred euros per month.
0: Oh, okay, okay. Yep,
1: so yeah. they would do it quarterly. So it was about, you know, you make it last
0: basically. Oh, okay, yep. so you were able to to survive uh, with five hundred euros. Uh, yeah. At that time, but so it was, the, that's already thirty years ago, isn't it? The, so. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I also stayed in a very small town. Uh, mm. So that also plays a huge role in how much money you're giving out. So my rental mm. was actually quite cheap, and also, mm-hmm.
0: oh, food in Germany is unbelievably cheap,
1: especially if you cook uh, it yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think that this also needs to be mentioned at this point that um, uh, your rent usually will, will be the biggest chunk in in uh, your budget, um, and uh, Competition for for accommodation is quite fierce, especially in in um, smaller cities. Actually, which are um, having one renowned university, which is, for instance, the University of Tubingen. Uh, it's a very picturesque um, city in uh, in the state of Baden-Württemberg, and very famous. Has got a long tradition, um, but uh, there's uh, not very much, um, um, uh, very many flats available. So. Um, uh, the um, uh, the rent actually might be quite high, around maybe uh, three hundred something euros just for one room in a shared flat. Actually, that you share with uh, with other students. So this yep. is something that you need to bear in mind. But the universities um, they will also help you um, along the process. If if you're new as an international student, usually uh, you um, are granted uh, one room in a student uh, hostel um, for the the first semesters. In order to uh, to make your way around, actually, and uh, understand how to um, how to find a place actually for for yourself afterwards. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. So let's move on to our rubric, which is fun facts about uh, Germany. Uh, the rules are quite simple. Each of us uh, will um, read um, a statement and the other one has to decide whether this statement is true or false. Um, and um, the uh, the st- uh, strategy actually to, to win this competition uh, <laughs> among us is actually to, to uh, make it sound as authentic and uh, elaborated as as much as possible in order to trick the other one to, to really believe it. So, uh, would you like to start, uh, it's or do you want me to start?
1: Uh, let's, uh, I think I'll give it a go. Yeah, why not?
0: Let's, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, challenge Brian. me. <clears throat> mm. Okay, in
1: Germany, of course, everybody loves bread in Germany. And it's um, a huge pastime as well. They, they take a huge amount of pride in baking their bread. So, in Germany, how many different types of bread types are there? Um, Is it going to be 250,
0: 300 or 350 different types of bread in Germany? Oh, that's, that's a very good question, actually. You're absolutely right. We, we, in, in Germany, we are obsessed with uh, two things, uh, potatoes and uh, bread. No, three things, and beer, of course. <laughs> um, uh, so bread definitely um, uh, plays in a very important role in, in our diet. Uh, we start uh, in the morning, usually, with uh, some uh, slices of bread or with some rolls. And uh, for dinner, quite often, actually, uh, uh, we just finish with some um, slices of bread and then some cold cut. That is considered to be a full meal. And if you, um, once you experience the German bread, then uh, you will discover how nutritious it is and how it will help you to uh, um, to um, uh, make this actually as, as a full meal actually for for your dinner. It's absolutely uh, working and it was working for me uh, my entire life when I was living in Germany. So 250, 300 of, uh, 350 different types of breads. Um I have no idea, so I'll just go with uh, uh, 350.
1: Uh, No, I I got Uh this one, yeah, finally. (laughs) (laughs) All right. so in Germany there's actually about 300 different types of bread. Uh, This Mm -hmm. one is according to Alumni Portal Deutschland, so our own very own website. Um, Of course, uh, the things about uh, German bread is that they do take a lot of pride in their bread. They have different types of uh, seeds which they put in there as well. And The thing that shocked me the most about studying in Germany is that the typical white bread which we have here in Malaysia, that sandwich bread, Mm. Germans hate that.
0: Yes, it's very simple actually. It might be quite tasty, but uh, we know that it's, it hasn't got uh, um, uh, enough nutrition actually to be, to be considered uh, to be a proper bread. Um, if, you, um, if you're desperate for, for white bread, of course you can get it uh, at a mm. supermarket um, and the rolls are usually also made of uh, uh, white uh, um, flour, but um, our preferred uh, type of bread is actually usually um, um, whole grain. Uh, Breads, uh, because it really is very rich and yep. uh, help you to stay uh, to stay full for for a long, longer time. Very yeah, tasty time. as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. 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 Okay. So three hundred different types of bread, and of course you cross-check this information you found on this website, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, I trust alumni portal, I think. <laughs> I'm hoping that's correct. <laughs> uh, let's just assume that's correct. Yeah, That's the specific number actually of, of different types of bread in Germany, 300, okay. Good. Um, here's my statement and you need to figure out whether it's true or false. Prisoners, prisoners in Germany who escape from jail, will receive additional years of incarceration, usually around one third of the initial sentence. So let's say you you are sentenced for 10 years in prison and then you escape and uh, you uh, are captured again and brought back to the prison, then uh, there's going to be another three years on top of that. Is that true or false? That's false oh wow and
1: i know this one for a fact actually i am i hope this is true if not i'm gonna mm-hmm. sound like a mm-hmm. complete idiot uh but in offenburg they just built this very new jail and it came out on the radio uh that what was it if you escape from a jail in germany you won't get any punishment actually it's kind of like well you you earned your freedom didn't you <laughs> so mm-hmm. how accurate is that
0: that's absolutely correct. Yes, your your um, answer is is correct, and your explanation is also um, uh, correct. Um, it's not that uh, you are rewarded if you make it. Uh, then then uh, um, you uh, everybody says okay, you uh, you earned your uh, your freedom. It's rather that the German state acknowledges uh, that it is uh, simply um, the human nature to want to be free, and uh, so uh, we can't punish. Uh, um, any human being um, following the human nature that all of us um, has it uh, um, as an uh, internal driver actually and um, everybody who's uh, I don't know, I, I don't have the experience but maybe <laughs> now during, during COVID and MCO we all feel actually the, this urge actually to, to go out uh, every day and run to the supermarket because we can't stand uh, being in our uh, own um flat our own room uh, any longer <laughs> so th- this shows actually that we all have this uh, this urge actually to be to be free and to roam free um as we would love uh, like to so um it really is is a um a hu- a simple human uh, desire actually to be free mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very true. good yeah. fantastic
1: okay Brian. Uh, true or false from my end as well mhm Okay. If you order a pepperoni pizza in Germany, usually you will get pork on your pizza.
0: Mm. That's also a very good question because um, we need to now consider whether pepperoni uh, sausages are, they are usually made from, from pork, but uh, the question is whether this is also uh, the case then for uh, for the pizzas as well. I will go for... Yes, that's
1: that's true. I think I got you on this one. Oh. All right. So, pepperoni. Pepperoni. If you order pepperoni in Germany, a pepperoni is actually those spicy chilies.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And this is something that bothered me a lot in Germany because the first time I went off to a pizza place and I ordered pepperoni pizza, uh-huh. I was thinking I was hoping for those small slices of salami on there. Okay, okay. But it turns out pepperoni is those... Uh, so they take the word pepper quite seriously uh-huh. and... It, uh, it originates from Italy. Uh, so pepperoni, it's just uh, these spicy chilies, the mm-hmm. spicy peppers.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you need to uh, order extra the the, the salami uh, to um, to get the, uh, the slices of meat on on top of it yep exactly oh I see fantastic yes. there you got me I also had, had the understanding that uh, pepperoni pizza is, is referring actually to this specific spicy sausage actually that uh, they cut in small um, slices and and uh, drape over your pizza no see. It's the, not see your English side has got the better view there
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
0: absolutely wow it's um, hey 2-0 for you so far let's see whether I can, I can get you with the next one. Uh, th- this is um, maybe a tricky one because it's uh, German history, and uh, you have not been studying German history uh, during your um, A levels. So let's see <laughs> whether you can, whether you can figure it out. The first time the the unification of Germany was officially proclaimed was in eighteen forty eight at the Paulskirche in Frankfurt. Is it true or false? was that again the first time the first time the unification of Germany Germany was officially uh, proclaimed was in Uh 1848 at the Paulskirche in Frankfurt so 1848 definitely a very important year Uh, I don't know whether it rings a bell for you this is when when the um, um, the German first revolution took place and there was a parliament um, announced it, at the Paulskirche in Frankfurt. And uh, along with it was also um, the uh, the proclamation of uh, the German unification.
1: Okay. Are we talking about Germany or are we talking about... Well, yeah, of course it was called Germany back then. Deutschland. Yeah. I would... Uh, are we talking about the whole of Germany? Okay, I'll, you know, I'm just going to say true. You were saying true, and true is
0: false, it's false. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the proclamation of uh, the German Empire, also known as uh, the Deutsche Reichsgründung, took place a couple of years later, um, on the 18th of January in 1871, after the joint victory of the German states in the Franco-Prussian War. So... um, In 1848, uh, Germany was not unified yet. It was um, um, uh, various um, independent um, states, uh, German states, of course, uh, but mainly um, um, dominated by uh, the Prussian Empire. And uh, these German states actually united uh, to fight uh, uh, France and they did it uh, victoriously in uh, 1871. And uh, then with this in Versailles, the uh, German uh, Empire was uh, proclaimed. And um, that was the first time that we had a, a unified um, German um, Empire, which didn't exist before that. Um, mm. And uh, so the day of the founding of the German Empire, January 18th, as I just mentioned, became a day of celebration, marking when uh, the Prussian King William I was proclaimed German emperor in uh, Versailles and that's also one of the reasons actually why uh, Germany has been so eager in, uh, 19, um, uh, in 1914 uh, to go to war with France again uh, the beginning of the first world war because they still had the experience of uh, this uh, victorious battle against France in 1871 um, and they thought they could just repeat history here once again and be victorious oh very interesting
1: mm. okay yeah all right. Uh, do you want to do another one? Do you want to do another one? I don't know. Well, I could give you another one. Yeah, okay, why okay. Not. <laughs> Yeah, why not? Okay. Um, the largest Hindu temple in Europe can be found in Germany.
0: The largest Hindu temple can be found in... Germany. I mean, Germany is, is quite um, uh, liberal uh, when it comes to religion uh, and religious uh, freedom. Um, and we also have a very long history um, with, uh, with the Muslim uh, culture. Um, the f- uh, one of the first mosques, I think, is from, from the 19th century, mid-19th century, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Hinduism... Has it got a tradition in in Germany? I'm not really I'm not really sure about this. I would say uh, no. That's that's false. It maybe it might be in in uh, uh, yeah. It's definitely in another uh, European country. Um, let me see which one has got affiliations with. Uh, um, Maybe in England. It's rather in England than in Germany. Oh, interesting. Uh, but it's it's true, actually. Is it? Is it? Yes. Okay, okay. So
1: since 2002, on the 7th of July, uh, Europe's largest Hindu temple was opened in Untrop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a small town outside of Ham. Ham. Okay, so I'm not yeah. lost. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's well. Very interesting. It's uh, between a meat packing factory, which of course goes very well with Hinduism <laughs> and, uh, and it's really close to the highway as well so that's uh, I had no idea It's just something interesting that I saw today I thought okay I was researching about uh, the different uh, temples of worship in Germany and yeah. Hinduism is actually on there as well so okay. it's uh, the largest one in Europe okay interesting very interesting yeah
0: um, yeah maybe in in uh, at another occasion we can also uh, look into uh, the tradition of Islam of, um, uh, Islam in, in Germany and uh, that we also have a very uh, big uh, mosque in uh, in Cologne um, mm-hmm. that was uh, when it was opened, I think it was in 2000 uh, 2006 if I'm not mistaken um, also uh, uh, made the uh, um, uh, the Turkish Prime Minister Erdogan come to Germany to, to oh. open it and uh, so it's quite of importance and it's also um, in Cologne at uh, one uh, of Uh, the areas actually where I used to live so I drove by every morning when I went to the university uh, which is called Ehrenfeld in Cologne okay different topic maybe one more um, one more step from my side um, for you to figure out whether it's true or false the German autobahn is the densest highway system in the world so the statement is the German autobahn is the densest highway system in the world is it true or false? the densest highway system in the world so you have a lot of um, highways next to each other um mm-hmm. and uh, quite a big network uh, on uh, small terrain a big network on
1: small terrain that's true i've been on the autobahn i know how how long it gets i would say the world though
0: i'd say false you say false so yeah. So finally, here's one point for me. It's absolutely true. Uh, so uh, allow me to elaborate. So it's um, the German Autobahn is not the the longest um, um, highway system in the world. Uh, this can be found in China, with 149,600 kilometers, um, followed by the US with uh, with uh, 77,960. And in Germany, uh, we are uh, ranked uh, third with uh, 13,183 kilometers. Um, uh, but it is the densest system. So uh, oh. I don't know whether you went to the Ruhr Valley. Um, you have so many um, autobahn um, highways, actually, next to each other parallel, and, and uh, um, you can uh, easily get lost, actually, in, in the highway system. It's, uh, it's uh, yeah, very dense uh, and uh, also the densest uh, highway system in, in the world. Interesting. Good. Very okay. cool, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So, um, yeah, that concludes our rubric for today, Fun Facts About Germany. And um, with this, we come uh, to uh, to the end of uh, our today's uh, podcast. And uh, we'd like to um, thank you all very much for listening. And if you'd like to know um, anything else about uh, studying in Germany, um, come uh, to our website, daad uh, Malaysia. Um, and there you will see uh, all the information that we talk about here um, um, uh, fully in detail. And um, if that's not enough, uh, feel free actually to um, visit one of our info sessions that ItSide and uh, Nadira are providing um, regularly um, six sessions every uh, month. And uh, if that's not enough, uh, then you can also book a one-on-one consultation uh, with us uh, uh, also through our website. And with this, I would like to thank you all for listening. Yep. And thank you for my
1: end as well. All right, Brian.
0: Okay. <laughs> Thanks, it's. Take care. Hear you next week. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye.